Welcome to Northern Exposure, the podcast that we hope will help Canadian medical students explore their potential future careers as Canadian physicians. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah Levy. And I'm Ann Keller. Our guest today is Dr. Kirk McCarroll. Dr. McCarroll is a family practice anesthetist. Originally hailing from St. John, New Brunswick, Dr. McCarroll completed medical school at Dalhousie University before moving to Prince George, BC to complete rural family medicine residency at the University of British Columbia. Following graduation, Dr. McCarroll worked in Iqaluit and as a locum in BC before completing a PGY-3 in family practice anesthesia at UBC in Vancouver. Since then, Dr. McCarroll has practiced as a family practice anesthetist in a variety of settings in BC, including his current job in Revelstoke, a small town located almost equidistant between Calgary and Vancouver. Dr. McCarroll is also the lead of the Rural Coordination Center of BC Family Practice Anesthesia Network. Outside of medicine, he enjoys skiing, snowboarding, kayaking, canoeing, and rafting with his family. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. McCarroll. Thanks for having me. For our show, we divide it into three general parts. The first is about your specialty and yourself. The second is the story of how you landed where you are. And the third is digging into the nitty gritty details of your day to day. Okay, sounds good. One of the goals of the podcast is to give a really solid feel and understanding of what a career in a given specialty is like. But to start us off, can you give us an elevator pitch for your job as a family practice anesthesiologist? In other words, a short sales pitch for your specialty. Yeah, I think family practice anesthesia is a great career for somebody who has lots of different interests because the the scope of practice is really quite broad. It makes family medicine very interesting, very rewarding. It gives you skill sets that allow for fantastic symptom control, which is really important in rural places. It lends itself well to family practice and and taking care of your long-term patients when they have serious illness. So it gives you an incredible skill set to use in the emergency department. So if you're working as a generalist in a smaller emergency department, to have those anesthesia skills that uh, give you comfort with hemodynamic support and airway management and symptom control, it just it makes you feel comfortable in the eMERGE setting uh, and makes you feel confident that when you get somebody who comes in who's seriously ill, you've got the ability to temporize them if you're in a rural place and support them to get them to higher levels of care. And uh, it gives you the skills to definitively manage many things within your smaller community. Thank you. I'm intrigued already. Can you actually define for us what it is that a family practice anesthetist does? It's an interesting career choice. It opens a lot of different doors. I have colleagues that have really focused their practice in solely anesthesia, and they provide fantastic services for medium-sized centers that really don't have the complexity to keep specialist anesthetists up to speed in their specialty. So we have FPAs who work in those size centers right up to regional centers and provide a, an incredible service to those medium-sized towns. On the other end of the spectrum, you have smaller communities where the family practice anesthetist is, is more of a, a family physician, but provides a day or two a week of uh, anesthesia support for a little community. And that keeps smaller communities, it keeps up their ability to provide uh, obstetrical care so that parturients don't have to travel far from their homes to safely uh, receive perinatal care. It lets the, the small communities continue to be able to provide C-sections and epidurals and, and, and support for those uh, for that population. 
So, so it is quite a, a spectrum. And then many FPAs will also develop special interests in pain management. So there are FPAs in rural places that uh, will run chronic pain clinics and they offer some interventional procedures uh, as well as running opiate antagonist clinics or uh, methadone clinics. There's that broad scope that allows for pain control. Some of them will take those skills and work in, in ICUs as well. I have uh, colleagues that have taken their critical care skills and really focused on that area. And, and they'll provide uh, the critical care support for a smaller hospital. So it's very interesting in the doors that it opens and the variety of practice that, that it allows you to pursue. I already think of family medicine, the two-year program is super broad. So it's <laughs> even broader than that. In terms of your practice, where on that spectrum do you fall? Yeah, I've definitely one of the smaller communities. So my practice is a day or day and a half a week of true family medicine. So I have a small family practice and I'm in the clinic about a day to a day and a half a week. And then my personal interests, I enjoy Emerge and I enjoy the anesthesia, I guess my, my favorite parts of my practice. So I try to select as many Emerge days and OR days as, as I can. So I'm usually in the Emerge about a day and a half to two a week. And then the anesthesia, I'm usually about a day, day and a half a week there. So it's a, a variety. The other thing that's always a bit of a challenge when you're in a small place working as an FPA is just maintaining your skills. So a lot of us will travel a bit to get a bit more volume in a center that's got higher acuity. We have a coaching program here in BC, which has been a fantastic addition to the FPA world that pairs us up with specialists in larger centers. So we have a connection with uh, our, our regional hospital in Vernon. Uh, two or three times a year, I will go to Vernon and work with the specialists there just to try and keep up to date. And they'll sometimes come here and help us out with our program. It just keeps you up to speed on changes and, and allows you to practice those skills that you don't get to do every day in a smaller place. That sounds like a really great initiative to provide the best care possible in as many places as possible. I was wondering how you feel your personality complements your job. A rural lifestyle, I think, has always been what led me down this career path. It's a career that really needs to be in a smaller place and a more of a rural setting. So I think that a personality that enjoys the outdoors and enjoys a smaller community, doesn't mind being approached by their patients in the grocery store, showing a rash <laughs> in, the, uh, in the bread aisle. So that's the type of lifestyle you, you'll be embarking on. You have to be okay with uncertainty. We're limited in terms of our diagnostics in rural. So I think you have to have the type of personality that's okay not knowing a full diagnosis and not being 100% sure what to do and doing the best that you can and accepting those outcomes. Because you are working in smaller places and you, you're, you're off on your own, you have to be okay with dealing with stressful situations too, because we're called in when there's a trauma and people are really sick. So you have to have the personality type that's okay with those emergency situations and that enjoys that because it is a big part of the job. So in my personality, I enjoy excitement, a bit of stress in my life. I kind of thrive on that. So I think that needs to be part of your personality because it's definitely part of the job. You're called in to those stressful situations. And if you find those are situations that make you really uncomfortable and it's going to be a, a tough job. You're not going to enjoy it very much. That makes sense. 
So one thing that we like to do on the podcast is to do a bit of a lit review on what are the stereotypes that medical students have about a given specialty and then pose them to our guests. Cool. So we found a survey of Canadian medical students that was published in 2008 that examined factors associated with interest in rural family medicine practice. Students associated rural family medicine with a broad scope of practice, but felt that work and practical realities of rural medicine make it less lifestyle friendly than in an urban setting. And then in a separate study of Australian medical students, rural practice setting was associated with feeling socially isolated. So what are your thoughts on those perceptions? Absolutely. I think that you can run into those two scenarios. You have to like the job. I think that's that's key. The, there's the call burden and there's running into your patients in the grocery store. It's true. It, it happens. You're not as anonymous as you might be in the city. So I, I think you do have to enjoy enjoy the work. So for me, I mean, there are times I get tired, absolutely, and there's times I need a vacation. But most of the time, when I get a call to come in, I still get that excitement that you feel as a medical student or, as, or a resident when you're going in for a big case. So I think you have to enjoy the job because it's uh, it kind of defines you in a small place. You are the you're the town doctor. If you're out swimming at the lake with uh, your kids and somebody's injured, everybody knows that you're the doctor and you get called in to come and help. In terms of the social isolation, you're in a smaller community for sure, and uh, you've got a smaller group of colleagues and, and smaller communities. But I think on the other side, of the, the flip side of that coin is that the small communities tend to really support each other. And I think you develop really close, tight relationships in small communities, that warm neighborhood feel. We live in a town where we don't worry about locking our doors at night and our neighbors are uh, are all watching out for us and, and for our kids. They can get out and ride their bikes around the community without any concern at all. So so I guess that's the flip side of that social isolation is that, yeah, you are isolated, but you develop really close relationships with within the, the smaller community that you have. And that's the way I, I, I see it anyway. I've, uh, I've always felt that connections in, in small communities tend to be very strong and, and, and very supportive. It's very interesting to hear because I, I'm very much a city girl. I've never lived anywhere that wasn't a large city. So it's just a whole different lifestyle and a whole different perspective and things to think about. Yeah. Are there any other stereotypes of rural FPAs that you think people may have? And what are your thoughts on those? I guess one anxiety I have or concern I have about a possible stereotype is that there are those of us that take on this job as a maybe a shortcut into anesthesia. I don't know whether that's a true stereotype or not, but I guess it's I've always sort of worried that people might see me that way as just trying to take a shortcut and work as an anesthetist that's you know, really less qualified to, to be doing the job. And I think that is really a, a false stereotype, if in fact it does exist. The FPAs do a completely different job than specialists. There's a real need for surgical services in rural communities. There's a need for physicians that have advanced skills to support trauma care, to support obstetrical care. And I think the role of the FPA is bringing that anesthesia skill set to a setting where those general skills are really needed uh, to manage the, the population. So it's not all about going to the OR and working as an anesthetist every day. It's, it's using those skills to 
um, support your family practice, support your emergency department, and, and support your community with the ability to provide symptom management, palliative care, critical care. It just it brings all of those skills into a small community. Forgive me, haven't done an anesthesia rotation yet, so this is a fairly ignorant question. But when you talk about the scope of practice in FPA being mostly OB and trauma-centric, if I'm thinking about anesthesia as a whole, like that's a kind of a subset within anesthesia in terms of the skills that are used? Well, anesthesia itself is a huge specialty as well, as you might imagine. I mean, it's a very different scenario to, to be at a large hospital doing a, you know, a liver transplant or a lung transplant versus providing procedural sedation in the emergency department for a fracture reduction. So it's, anesthesia is massive. Uh, FPAs really focus on those, the basics of anesthesia, the, the skills that you, you need to provide general care, to provide a straightforward general anesthetic for a patient that comes in with an appendicitis and needs an appendectomy. And then the symptom management part is, is really key for rural as well. So if you get a patient who is in palliative care with intractable pain, the FPAs learn epidurals and spinal anesthetics and things like that that can really come in handy when you have a sick patient whose, whose symptoms are just not controllable any other way. And I think that's the most important parts of the job of anesthesia is that symptom management, as opposed to going to the OR and providing the anesthetic for the case. That's, that's really a sort of a small piece of, of anesthesia. So moving on to our second part, I'm glad you think FPA is great. And now we want to know how it is you discovered it and how it is you ended up where you are. So just really, we'd love to hear the whole story of it in terms of you're in med school and how you made the decisions that you made to lead to where you are. Yeah, uh, I flip-flop back and forth like most people do through medical school. I mean, I, I went into medical school thinking uh, PEDS was the course for me did all my electives in peds and and then I did a rural family elective in New Brunswick in the Miramichi and until I had done that it didn't really appreciate the scope of practice that that you could provide and I worked with a doc who did palliative care he had some advanced skills in palliative care and his practice was really varied in emergency and it opened my eyes to that that wide interesting scope of practice that you could you could have in a small place so then I changed my mind and decided I would go into uh, family practice and specifically a rural family practice. At no point did I ever have any interest in anesthesia through medical school. Uh, and even resident, residency, I did a few electives just because I thought I might need to intubate somebody in an emergency. And so no interest in anesthesia whatsoever. And in fact, I wanted to do C-sections. That was my goal. I wanted to be able to provide cesarean sections to rural communities. And I left my residency program and went to Callaway. was my first job. And, uh, and while working up there, I kind of got a feel for rural practice and looked at the job of the, it was a, a surgeon that was up there and looked at her very practice. And she was the only one in town. And I kind of looked at that call bird and I thought, wow, that is really, that's, that's tough. So that made me think about, about that. But then when I, and I knew I wanted to do a third year. I wanted to, to have some extra skills to bring to a, to a community. So one day we got called on a, a medevac. We had to fly into a rural, a really tiny community from Iqaluit. I think it was about a three-hour flight from Iqaluit up north into a little community. And 
I was traveling with a, an FPA, and I remember kind of talking about how we were going to manage this patient. And I thought it was really interesting, the skill set that individual brought to the care team and that, that now we were able to fly into this community and safely secure somebody's airway and provide ventilatory support to the patient all the way back and provide sedation. And, uh, and that kind of fascinated me. I, thought, I saw that skill set uh, at that point as incredibly valuable. And I never thought about anesthesia that way before. I had always thought about uh, the anesthesiologist as the caregiver in the operating room who puts the patients to sleep and wakes them up again. And uh, so I hadn't really explored that career. That experience opened my eyes to that wide scope of practice and that, that incredible skill set that anesthesia brings to the, the care team. So it was on that flight I decided I was going to go back and do anesthesia. I worked for another year in rural and continued to do some locums. And I, you know, I went to the OR then with a few of the the FPAs and little little communities, and that confirmed that it was a, an interesting thing, and I, and, uh, and I did it. Yeah, I was really behind the ball when I started, because most people that go in, we, in BC, at least, when you go back to do your R3 in anesthesia, you join the second year specialty program. There's a few extra things that we do in the FPA program, but basically you join that mainstream of anesthesia residents. So I was, I had a lot of catch up to do because most of these students had been through med school, done all their electives in anesthesia and residency. They'd done the first year. Um, so it was a huge learning curve when I first went in there. I, mean, I didn't know how to work the anesthesia machine at all. <laughs> my preceptors, <laughs> the preceptors must have thought I was, uh, they must have thought I was a clown because I, I was uh, behind the ball. So a big learning curve to, to get caught up with everybody, but it was just fascinating to look at that new, that whole new specialty and, uh, and learn so much. Taking you back, you were originally interested in peds. Mm-hmm. Why were you originally interested in peds? Pediatrics is still a favorite part of my practice, and it's great in anesthesia as well to provide care to kids when they come in for the, you know, it's usually dental surgery is the most common thing, but sometimes we'll provide anesthesia for a tonsillectomy, or we'll get called to the eMERGE to provide sedation for a child who needs a reduction of a fracture, something like that. I find it really rewarding to work with kids and try to connect with them. You know, I'd always been, before medical school, I taught swimming lessons and lifeguarded and yeah, I just enjoyed uh, teaching kids and being around kids. They, they still, kids make me happy. And, I think one of the coolest things about doing an R3 is the idea that you get to see what your specialty is about before deciding what more you want and what could be the most beneficial to my community. That's a cool perspective I didn't really have before. You know, one thing I'd recommend to people that are considering this is to actually get out and work for a year or two before going back to do it. Uh, A lot of people are interested right out of family practice. It's great and it's fantastic. Um, but I think to get out and work for a year and get that perspective of how you might use the skills, it just allows you to focus your training a bit more so that when you're in that R3 year, you can filter out the stuff that is more relevant to the environment in which you're going to be practicing. Is there anything that you wish you had known before you made your decision, whether that was the decision to do family medicine or the decision to do the R3 year in anesthesia, or any advice you have for students making the decision of which specialty to choose? I don't know. I feel like I, through my experiences, I really got to know what I was getting myself into as I was getting myself into it. it I started with the basics where, you know, uh, what 
is my personal life, my ideal personal life going to look like? And that involved a rural community with access to the things I love, camping and being on the rivers and um, in a small small town. So, I mean, that was the first decision I think I made. And I think that's important. That, that's number one. And then the second decision, I think, is then to look at what your professional interests are and uh, how you can incorporate that into that lifestyle that you've chosen. So I think that's how I went about it. You know, started with rural family and dabbled and explored and got to know it a bit and then looked at the skill set of the rural generalist and which of those skills was most interesting to me and and looked at the lifestyle and, and, and gradually made those decisions. So moving on to the third and final part of our podcast, we want to dig into the nitty gritties of what your your day-to-day job looks like. You had mentioned that you do a few days and emerge a few days at your general practice. But if we were to follow you around for a week, can you take us through what we would see starting on, on Monday morning? Yeah, um, it's really, really variable. So a typical, yeah, a typical week would be, there isn't really a typical week. <laughs> <laughs> So in our smaller community, we have four FPAs and we have four kind of OR days per week. So that can be, we kind of divide them up evenly throughout the month. So over a month, um, we'll have four kind of OR type days within that whole month. And then that gets spread out. And then um, there's often somebody on vacation. So it usually, you know, there's usually an extra, an extra day in the OR. So you're Kind of within a month, you've got about five days. You're going to be dedicated to being in the operating room, providing traditional anesthesia care for usually elective slates. The type of slates that you'd see in our, in our community and in most rural communities are the general services. So you there'll usually be a general surgery slate, a gynecology slate, uh, orthopedics is another common one. Uh, dental is quite common. Dental procedures. Uh, and then a scattering of ENT type stuff like tonsillectomies is is very common in a small place. And endoscopy is another thing that usually is a service that you frequently end up providing in a smaller place. Those are, I'll usually do one of those days each a month. So we're kind of about one in four call and the burden, the call burden is not too bad. It's not like when you're on call in your clerkship or residency where you're at the hospital all night. Anesthesia will get called in in our community maybe every other day. For, a, for an emergency call, and that might be to come in for a C-section or might be come in to do an epidural. More often than not, we live in a, in Revelstoke, there's a ski hill, so there's a lot of trauma there. So more often than not, our calls are to the emergency department to provide procedural sedation for a reduction of fractures or dislocations. That's a big part of the job. And it's uh, every two, every every other day, probably on average, you'll get, a, you'll get an emergency call um, to go in. So it's not too bad. So we usually batch our call and try and do five or six days in a row. So you kind of you're on call for five or six days, and then you've got more time for family where you're not on call. The other part of my job is the emerge, and I'll do a day and a half to two most weeks in the emerge. We kind of split up our weekends. Um, usually there'll be a weekend a call a month uh, for emerge. The emerge shares. It's not super busy. We will usually see about twenty. 25 people in a 12-hour shift in the Emerge. I love that. The variety is very interesting. Geriatric care to trauma care, pediatrics. And then I have a small family practice. 
with my interests in anesthesia and, and eMERGE primarily, that's one of the challenges is maintaining a family practice. I do struggle a bit with that uh, in terms of availability for patients, where you're trying to maintain an anesthesia skill set and where you're trying to uh, bring your skills to the emergency department where they're, they're really quite critical. It's hard to fit in the, the clinic days in there. And a lot of patients, you know, rightly so, want to access their family doctor the same day if they have some problem, they want to come in and see a family doctor. So that's one of the challenges. You just can't, you can't provide that everyday access to your family practice. Uh, and we get around that with group practices so that somebody's there in the office. But inevitably, I feel at times the challenge of, of being available to my patients. Could you comment on what your hours look like in each of your different roles, perhaps starting with your OR days? Yeah, you got to like getting up early. It starts early. The day is usually over at uh, around two or three o'clock, which is nice as you get home a little earlier, you know, as long as there's no callbacks. And then usually you're you're on call uh, as well during that the day you're scheduled to be in the OR. You also take the call that night. Occasionally, there is an add-on case at the end of the day that keeps you there a little later, but usually you're home by three o'clock. And then if I'm doing a day in the eMERGE, we do 12-hour shifts and they start at 7 a.m. Most of the time, you'll get called into the eMERGE around 8 o'clock. For us, it's usually a trickle of patients. It's pretty hard to predict sometimes. And then for us, it's uh, ski season that, uh, that gets really busy around Christmas time. We get some pretty pretty hectic days in there off season you may see 10 people in a day and you're you're on call so yeah you can leave the emergency department if there's nothing happening and we live i mean we can walk to the hospital so that's nice so i can walk back home and have lunch and then wait for the next patient and, and uh, go back to the hospital so i i I enjoy that that lifestyle as opposed to a, a, sh- a select shift where you're you're there for whatever eight hours and you're just in the building working it's, it's kind of nice and then there's inpatients as well too. We also take care of inpatients. So frequently I'll have an inpatient and they'll be seen sometime during the day. If it's an anesthesia day, I'll usually go a little earlier and see an inpatient. Uh, if it's an eMERGE day, you can usually pop up there between patients. So you've kind of, you've always got that on the go as well too. There's always a possibility of an inpatient there that you're taking care of. We have a group practice too. So if you do need to be away, it's never a problem to have somebody take care of your inpatient so that it's not not a burden it's another enjoyable part of the practice and clinic do we start at nine o'clock in clinic and totally different now a lot of times that can mean uh, visits from home since the pandemic started we're doing a lot more telehealth stuff but uh, traditionally you'd go into the office at nine o'clock and then you'd work till about 12 30 and then you'd have an hour for lunch and then do an afternoon clinic as well Sometimes you'll you'll do a, a walk-in shift there. We do offer a walk-in service at our clinic as well. So, so we have to take turns doing the walk-in too. What is an aspect of your job that makes you excited to go to work most days? I'm excited, most excited probably about a, a day in the operating room with some interesting cases, some bigger cases. I find them stimulating and rewarding as well. I feel like going in and being able to provide a safe and friendly care experience where symptom management is optimal. I thrive on that. I feel really good about the work that I do when I'm when I'm able to go in and, and provide that care for, for a day. So that, I think that's probably my most exciting part of my practice. Uh, and, uh, and then trauma is so rewarding because you can make such a huge difference 
for somebody who's in that scenario who comes in and, and you know, this is the worst day of their life. They've had something terrible happen to them. To be able to provide care in that scenario is, is so rewarding because you can make such a huge difference. You could I mean, save a life and that's amazing. To relieve pain is amazing. To relieve anxiety is such a, it's a, just an awesome, awesome feeling. So I think that's why I really enjoy the, that trauma care is because you, you have a patient who uh, has so much suffering and you can really make a huge difference. Is there a specific clinical encounter or experience that has really stuck with you as being particularly poignant? The experiences that stick with me the most, I want to say palliative care is really one of those areas that you remember. You, you kind of remember the families, or I do anyway, remember the families and feel like the type of care that means so much to families and patients. I remember one a lady with just intractable pain. She had a malignancy, a abdominal malignancy that was quite aggressive and, and causing it a lot of pain. And we had tried all sorts of interventions to get her pain under control. And in the middle of the night, one time she just had this, uh, this pain crisis, pain got way out of control. And uh, she was very end of life and, you know, sort of the last days of her life. The only thing that really helped this lady in the end, we were able to roll her onto her side and I was able to place an epidural uh, for this lady. And that was the only thing that got her pain under control. And it was so effective. And, and to be able to provide that service made such a difference for that lady. She died a couple of days later, but take somebody that was just in so much suffering and had that skill set to relieve that suffering in, in such an effective way was probably one of the most rewarding experiences of my career. Pain is something everyone can relate to on some level or another, and the ability to help that go away is is an incredible privilege. Yeah. Was there a moment at some point in your career when you thought, aha, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing? Or has it been more of a general sense of satisfaction throughout? Yeah, no, it's been more gradual for me. As I say, I'm not, I'm not much of a planner. I didn't really plan this out. It's just kind of the way it ended up for me. And uh, it's, you know, took it one day at a time and feel like I just kind of ended up doing what I'm doing. I didn't make a lot of choices. I just kind of, you know, went to work and slowly expanded my practice into this area that I really enjoy. Do you have any final words of wisdom or, or advice to share with students who are considering a career like yours? Taking your time and exploring all the options. For me, anesthesia, I hadn't even thought about it until one fateful day when a GPA was talking to me about the type of work he was doing and I got to see the diversity of that career. Um, so it was that experience that kind of led me to make the decision. Thank you so much for, for chatting with us today. It's been really insightful and I certainly learned a ton. Pleasure to be included in this uh, great work. So thank you for doing it. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Northern Exposure. To suggest a guest, send us feedback, or learn more, check out our website, northernexposurepodcast.ca. We are both students at McMaster's Michael G. DeGroote School of Medicine, but this podcast is in no way affiliated with the school or program, and all views expressed are ours alone. Views expressed by guests on our show are personal opinions and should not be considered representative of any hospital, university, or other organization with which they may be affiliated. Music composed by David Rubel and performed by the David Rubel Quintet. Thank you for listening.